we got just a little bit uh, longer uh, to bear with me today. And let's see. So before I start with my presentation, uh, there's just a couple of things I want to kind of expound on that, that based on some conversations I've had um, following this morning. So number one, I want to be sure that um, the outcome from this morning is that you're not thinking that I'm down on men <laughs> or that I blame all men for the issue of sex trafficking or something like that. That's not true. Um, and I also, at lunch, I had a really uh, great conversation with some students here at Kingswood, and we were talking about, uh, you know, what, what would really change this issue. And, you know, um, at one point this morning, I said something about how if men stopped buying sex today, that sex trafficking would start, stop tomorrow. Um, so I really think that that is a ministry opportunity. It's, it's what, what I would call a ministry to the oppressor. So in that case, the people who are buying sex, they're the, I think, the, over, the, 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 the principal oppressor in the issue of sex trafficking. And, uh, but I think the gospel is so powerful precisely because it doesn't just call us to love the oppressed. It calls us to love the oppressor. And that um, as we get into today's um, presentation and talk, I just wanted to be sure I said that uh, early. Uh, because if we really want to be transformational, if we were reaching out to those men who were buying sex and could convince them uh, through the love of Christ to change their, you know, that they could embrace Christ, that they could change their hearts, that they could become new people and become transformed, that would revolutionize the world and make a big impact on an issue like sex trafficking. So I wanted to put those things out there. And I also wanted to clarify, uh, I don't think most of you probably were here at chapel yesterday, but I did misspeak, and I wanted to correct that. I was talking about how uh, trafficking, uh, you could consider it an illegal commerce in something like we talk about drugs trafficking and weapons trafficking and so forth. And then I think I went on to talk about trafficking in the Bible and it's that illegal commerce in human beings. I'm like, well... Trading in human beings wasn't necessarily illegal in the Bible. It was happening. Uh, and it, today we would definitely say that this is, you know, outside God's design. It's a, it's a, a, a subversion of the Imago Dei, the, the image of God in us. But it wasn't necessarily illegal in Bible times. It was probably quite sanctioned by a lot of leaders uh, in those days. So I just want to be clear that I misspoke. Uh, that was a misstatement of mine yesterday during chapel. Okay. But today, um, you know, this morning when I spoke about the issue of sex trafficking and how it's connected to prostitution, and it was kind of heavy stuff, but now I want to talk about different ways that we can engage and make a difference and make an impact and be engaged in ministry. So, what can the church do? So, before we actually start about things that we can do, I want to talk about principles by which we do them um, and some overarching ideas about... Um, God's role in our action, about the way we speak about the issue and not using hyperbole, and that there's lots of different ways to engage in the abolition movement, to be a modern-day abolitionist without necessarily uh, being engaged in rescue, direct rescue efforts. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, different ways to engage, like awareness, uh, training, and equipping, advocacy, and services. Okay. So starting with principles, um, the first principle that I think is really important in, in this ministry, or I would imagine about any ministry, 
is to remember that it is Jehovah who saves. It is our God who saves. We are not the saviors. Um, I, what I have seen in the anti-trafficking movement on occasion is it can kind of attract people who want to be modern-day Rambos. Um, now, this, I know Rambo's a little outdated now. He's more of a character of my time, but hopefully you still know who he is. <laughs> uh, but right, he, you know, he was a one-man machine, a one-man one army who went out to save, you know, save the world, right? And that's not going to work in this issue. You know, we're, none of us are called to be a one-person army. Uh, we need each other. We need the church. We need all of us ministering together. But we also need to do that in humility and in submission to God um, and ultimately laying our work at um, his altar. So it's not about us. It's not about our glory. It's not about, um, uh, I don't know, becoming a, a celebrity within the Christian circles. It's, it's just really about doing humble ministry and doing it to the glory of God and, and making him increase and us ourselves decrease. And trusting in him to save people, his efforts, not our own. Uh, all right, so remember, no Rambos. Okay, whoops. Uh, now, and you can even uh, see a, a hint of this in Scripture, too. Uh, in, in Numbers, God changes the name of Joshua. I didn't realize this for until recently that Joshua's name didn't start out as Joshua. It started out as I can't. I'm not sure I'll say this. Hoshea, uh, he saves, but God had Moses change it to a different name, a different Joshua, which means Jehovah saves, so that Joshua would always know that it's God who's doing the saving. Uh, and in this quote from Francis Schaeffer, Moses changed his name to Joshua, Jehovah saves, so that Joshua would even in his name remember that it's not man who saves, but God. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> hyperbole. Now, maybe not all of you know what hyperbole means, but it's basically... Uh, exaggerating is another way to think of this, all right? Basically overstating or overblowing our, our case about something. And I've seen this happen in the trafficking issue. Sometimes people have a tendency, well-meaning people, want other people to care about the issue of trafficking. And so they think, oh, if we have bigger numbers, if we can use these big numbers about all the victims, then people, they have to care because it's happening to so many people. And so they misuse statistics, they miscite numbers and use misinformation, because, all in a well-meaning effort to make people care. So, but what I want to caution you is, is very strongly against that. We have to be, present our issue, whatever it is, based on facts and not be prone to exaggeration or, or making sure that even we, we're stating the facts as correctly as possible. So uh, just an example of that, of how there is confusion. Now, it's, not, it's very hard to read here, but what, what's up there is a cover of a Smithsonian magazine, and on it, it talks about how the trafficking in wildlife is the second largest criminal enterprise thing going on. Well, I was a bit shocked. It was interesting to me because I hear everybody talking about how human trafficking is the second largest criminal enterprise after uh, drugs trafficking. 
And I was like, wow, well, we can't all be right. Somebody's wrong. <laughs> I don't know which trafficking is bigger, human trafficking or illegal animal trafficking. But my point is, is that the, the statistics and the numbers, particularly around the human trafficking issue, are very fuzzy, and it's, they're very easy to be misrepresented. So if this is a cause that you get involved in, please be careful about how you use statistics. Uh, be sure that you use citations uh, of sources. Um, and look for hard data, data that's coming out from real research, not just some person who, oh, so-and-so said this many people were trafficked, and we have the second largest, biggest trafficking problem in our city or in our province. I know down in America, I, I don't know how many times you know, people will say, oh, we have the, the second biggest trafficking problem in our state. Well, probably a week or two ago, I heard another person from another state say exactly the same thing. And they're citing some official who gave a speech, and there's no data, there's no report backing up what anybody's saying. They're just making wild claims. So don't do that. <laughs> we want to be fact, as fact-based as possible, as truth-based as possible. So, and another thing that happens in the course of this, what, that isn't statistic-related, it's actually in how we tell survivor stories. Um, I have noted with great, um, I don't know what the word is, it's, it's very concerning how some of the stories that are told about the survivors of human trafficking are very, it's like they're cherry-picked to be the most terrifying, most horrible stories you can possibly find, right? Like the, the most worst kind of abuse, the worst kind of exploitation, the worst kind of violence, and that actually can be harmful, and let's, there's a quote here from a lady who's been working in anti-trafficking for quite some time. She works in Thailand, and she, she explains. She says, these worst-case scenarios set a standard for sympathy that is way above the harsh and traumatic conditions of the majority. When someone's story isn't as severe, a glaze often appears coupled with disappointment. Oh, is that all? Where are the ones who are kidnapped and forced to serve 30 a night? That's the story we're looking for. So what I want you to understand is that there are, there's a wide spectrum of victimization that occurs in, in, in sex trafficking and in prostitution. Not everybody has suffered the same levels of trauma, but it doesn't mean that their exploitation isn't real. And if you just go out looking for these extreme cases, uh, you're going to be missing opportunities to minister to a lot of hurting people people who need restoration, people who need healing. Um, so let's not set our compassion meter so high where we're only looking for people who've been kidnapped and chained and drugged, uh, but that we have eyes to see um, the, the other kinds of exploitation that maybe don't, haven't had you know, some extreme, like Richter scale 10 um, abuse in their life, uh, but they are nevertheless exploited. Okay, so watch out for the hyperbole and victim stories. Now, um, okay, there's more, one, more than one kind of abolition. And I think yesterday, some, a lot of you weren't here yesterday, I talked about abolition as efforts to bring an end to some kind of uh, condition or, or institution that's harmful. And so we, talk, we usually use the word abolition in the context of working to abolish slavery to bring it to its end. And when it comes to the issue of sex trafficking, most people have, 
focus their efforts on, on efforts to rescue people, to rescue them out of sex trafficking, to get them out of brothels and out of the massage parlors, and we need that. That needs to happen. And then there's also been a big push on helping to provide services to restore the victims so that once they're rescued, that they get provided care and they get you know, medical treatment, they get shelter, they get clothing, they get skills training, and that they're able to rebuild their lives. And those efforts have been very needed. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of those programs didn't exist and victims who were rescued didn't have any resources available to them. So that, that was really needed. But what I want to encourage you to consider today is that there are a whole host of ways that you can engage and really be part of the effort to abolish human trafficking and sex trafficking in particular uh, by using a whole range of other skills and other giftings that you might have or interests that you might have. So, for instance, maybe some of you are good at business or interested in business. And a lot of what we need for the, I'm just thinking about the work we do in Sierra Leone. So we we run a center there. Uh, We're serving young girls who are victims of sex trafficking and rape. And part of our work is to get them reintegrated into society and help them get back into their, maybe get back to their families or get back to community and get back to some normal life. But they need a livelihood. They need a way to support themselves. And so we've been, we're really our big focus for the next year is going to be figuring out how we can start, uh, what kind of business, what kind of skill can we give them that they could go into business for themselves and sustain themselves. So we're looking at all kinds of things, things like ice cream making and cookies. And um, now we've gotten connected with some people who have an eyeglass making enterprise. So for those of you who have skills and interest in business, I want to encourage you to pursue that. If, if that's the gifting that God's given you, you can use that um, in the issue of, of human trafficking and really make a difference in helping people to be able to, to um, really sustain themselves in a way with, with dignity. Okay, mentoring. You know, there are so many at-risk youth, youth who are kind of, who are very vulnerable to falling prey to traffickers here in North America. Uh, You know, kids that come from broken homes in the foster care system, uh, they're easy target for people who would recruit them into the sex trade. What if we were mentoring all those kids? What if they had somebody who was investing in their lives and telling them that they were worth more um, than the highest price that their pimp could get for them? So if those, some of you feel really called to minister to youth, that's great. And I really think that that puts you in the front lines of the effort to combat trafficking, to invest in the lives of vulnerable youth. Foster parenting. Um, when you get older, maybe you have your own family, I really want to encourage you to consider being foster parents. Now, I'm not sure what the situation here is in Canada, but I can tell you that in the United States, uh, the vast majority of we have so many links of, with sex trafficking of minors in our country that these kids have come through our child welfare and foster parenting system. So these are kids who have, are from broken families. They've been put in the child welfare system, and they're getting abused within that system. And, and actually, foster, some foster parents actually trafficking these kids. Or they've run away from the abuse 
within, that they've been receiving from their foster parents. And as a consequence, they get caught up. Um, they're, they're just easy targets for pimps and exploiters, and they get caught up in, in this life. So what if the church stood up, uh, you know, families stood up and said, we'll, we'll foster children. We'll provide a safe, loving environment. If that happened in the United States, if all the churches stood up and, and families started saying, we're going to take care of the foster care roles in our community, it would cut the commercial sex trafficking of, of, of kids in, Amer- in North America and in, in the U.S. in half. I, I truly believe that. All right, and then things like sex addiction counseling. I know some people here are interested in, in, in counseling, and even and those of you, some of you who might be students at Kingswood here, I think we've got mostly the high schoolers now, but if there's any uh, KU students here, I know some of you are pursuing counseling. Uh, this would be a different tack, actually working with the oppressor, like what I was talking about earlier, working with people who are struggling with sex addiction, who want to get this out of their life, it's a real struggle. This is not um, what they want to be or what they want to do, but they need support. So maybe this is an area of counseling that you would want to consider. Um, you can engage in, in use, fair, purchase fair trade goods. So um, I think there was a session that might have touched a little bit on this today, but uh, fair trade, basically we're saying that there's goods that they can go through a certification process that is verifying that they're not slave-made, that there's no slave labor involved in these products. So some of the common ones would be things like coffee and chocolate, um, there's, but there's a whole host of goods that, are, that you can find out if they're fair trade or not. And so you can just make a decision and say, you know what, uh, from now on, I am only going to buy fair trade chocolate. And just by a simple decision like that, you are making a difference in the issue of human trafficking. You are saying that you're not going to use your dollars to support chocolate that might be made with slave, slave labor. And chocolate happens to be um, a product that we know has strong links with, with child labor and, and with trafficking. Okay. Um, let's see. I don't remember where I was going with pro-life advocacy. I'm going to skip that for a moment. Uh, the anti-pornography advocacy. Uh, for, for in, my, in my view, having been in this for a number of years now, I feel like uh, the more I work to combat sex trafficking, the more I need to fight pornography because pornography seems to just set people up, as I was explaining earlier. It grooms them to become the, the future sex buyers. It trains them to have a sexualized view of the world and to look at people as commodities, as sexual objects. So uh, what can we do? to push back against the normalization of pornography in our society. And and I'm excited to say that there's a whole lot more happening in this area. There are advocacy organizations who are providing information about the harms of pornography. There's a whole new field. We were talking last night. I was at David's house uh, talking about the the neuroscience, the brain science that's showing how pornography impacts the brain. So there's a whole field you can go into. Be a neuroscientist. Um, and be an abolitionist at the same time. (laughs) Of course, evangelism, actually uh, sharing the gospel of Christ, changing people's hearts, helping them to to live restored lives, huge part of... um, of changing this issue. If we can, you know, what if, what if a pimp accepts the Lord? How many people will not be trafficked if a pimp finds Christ? 
It's so awesome. And it happens. It can happen. Uh, writing. Some of you might be writers. You can write um, fictional accounts. You Maybe you want to get into the academy and write research reports and do hard research and, and do that kind of writing. And music and art. I think about, um, I have a dear friend. His name is Steve Seiler. He's the founder of an organization called Music for the Soul. He writes all kinds of, of music that ministers to people that have experienced different kinds of issues. But he's created an entire album that ministers to women and, well, to people who've been sexually trafficked. And he's an amazing song called Child of God uh, that's talking about, uh, it's addressed to a woman in prostitution. Beautiful. So he's using his skill in music, the gift that God gave him, to address this issue. So all is to say there are so many ways you can engage with whatever interests you, the gifts and skills that God has, has endowed in you. And so don't just think that there's only a couple ways to be involved in anti-trafficking and to make a difference. All right, now so some actual, some other kind of strategies and tactics and things you might want to consider for engaging would be, you know, obviously promoting awareness. And that's kind of like what, what today is about. We're here together to learn together. <clears throat> But things you can do, you could have a film screening. So there's all kinds of films about human trafficking these days. Um, so here's a list of some of them. But that's just a good way to introduce people to a topic. Maybe you want to have a book club and read some of the books that deal with this issue. So here's some of the ones that I like, ones like um, this one by... Uh, Prostitution, Trafficking, and Traumatic Stress by Dr. Melissa Farley. It's, it's, I think it was written in 2003, so it's more than 10 years old now, but it is a phenomenal research, a uh, piece of research and piece of work. Uh, the different, um, a lot of different authors contributed to the, that work, but great place to start if you're wanting to really learn deeply about this issue. So all kinds of books that are out there that you can... Um, Access. One of my favorites is actually, uh, it's called Street Walking with Jesus, Reaching Out in Justice and Mercy. And this is about a ministry to men in prostitution in Chicago. Uh, it was founded by um, uh, John Green. He's a Catholic and um, just devoted years of his life to ministry to men on the streets in Chicago. Fen absolutely phenomenal book. All right, so other ways you could raise awareness, maybe you want to have a house party. You can actually have a house party, invite your, the, the people in your circle of influence over and say, hey, I'm having this party. We're going to talk about this issue that I care about. And, um, you know, oftentimes this is accompanied with um, an, an ask, a request that they um, give a contribution to some charity that, that you, you know, one of the organizations that, that, does this work? So, for instance, you can you use you have the house party. It's often tied with fundraising. It helps create and dip, deepen interest in the issue with families and friends and acquaintances. It can bring new donors to help an organization, and it's it's just very flexible kind of uh, thing that you could do. <clears throat> now, another way that some organizations have chosen to raise awareness more in, in terms of the general public, this was a project that the Salvation Army did in South Africa. They actually used a store window and put 
showed people as if they were for sale. And this was to, with a view of helping the public see what we're talking about when we're talking about human trafficking. We're, we're talking about human beings being bought and sold as if they are a commodity, as if they're um, a piece of property. So they put them up for sale in the store window just to make a public impact. So that's, a, that's an example of, of creating awareness. Another store window campaign, I think this one was done in Israel, uh, it's called Woman to Go. And this was more specific to the issue of sex trafficking and how, it, um, and how uh, women are bought and sold for the sex trade. Now, in terms of awareness, we can also focus on church-based efforts. So, you know, how can we raise awareness within the church particularly? What might that look like? <clears throat> okay. okay. Well, there are Bible studies. You might want to have a Bible study. And a resource that you can use for that is a curriculum called Hands That Heal. And the opening, uh, it's a curriculum about the issue of trafficking. And it starts out with Bible, several, like three or four Bible studies. Um, but let's see, four. The topics of the, it introduced uh, biblical themes connected to the issue of trafficking. Things like just God's heart for justice, for instance. It talks on the theology of the value of, the woman, of women. It talks about, about a, a biblical view of sexuality and the essential role of the church in providing care for trafficking survivors. So maybe you want to do some Bible studies. <clears throat> or you could even create your own. And this would be great. That would be, I would be so excited if uh, some of you decided you were going to create your own Bible studies on uh, human trafficking. <coughs> <clears throat> Another thing that can happen are that some church groups have done or on a kind of an a denominational level denominational level has been to have denominational statements on the issue so over the years I, I know the national association uh, the national association of evangelicals has had a statement um i think the I'm trying to think of the i think the the methodists have had a statement uh, the Wesleyans have had a statement. And now the statement that I'm actually showing to you here, this one is from the Wesleyan Holiness Consortium. And this is basically a, <clears throat> an affinity group of, of church denominations that come out of the Wesleyan Holiness tradition who meet together. <clears throat> and out of that, you know, a lot of these denominations you have, like, for instance, the, the Free Methodists and the Nazarenes and the Salvation Army and the Wesleyan Church and the Church of God and more. So these, the, the, the Wesleyan Holiness Consortium brings them all together because we have some common theological foundations. <clears throat> now, many of those denominations are working, have some type of anti-trafficking ministry that's going on in their denomination. So what they did was set up a subgroup within that, the Wesleyan Holiness Consortium called the Freedom Network. So the Freedom Network has organizations like, maybe you've heard of Set Free, which is a free Methodist ministry. Um, I go to those meetings representing World Hope. Um, there's people from some of the Christian universities, like Point Loma, uh, that has a lot going on in anti-trafficking. But anyway, so we bring together different people from across the spectrum of Wesleyan Holiness Consortium, churches and institutions who are working and engaging in human trafficking and combating it. And what they did, one of the first things they did was draft this Declaration for Freedom. It's a phenomenal document, and I really encourage all of you to look it up on the Internet and, and read it. It's an exciting 
document that lays out the theological groundings of why we should care about human trafficking. So maybe we need to have a statement here at Kingswood <laughs> about human trafficking. Have its own declaration. Okay. Thank you. Very timely. <laughs> now, another thing you could do, consider within, uh, within that would be good for church-based activism, there's an event called Freedom Sunday. Anybody heard of this? One? Okay. Go, Mindy. <laughs> yeah. See, I learned some people's names. I'm so excited. Freedom Sunday. So this is just an opportunity that on a particular Sunday, you raise an emphasis about the issue of human trafficking. Now, there have been different, different churches, different denominations might have to call it different things or do it different days. But there is an effort to try to coordinate uh, and create a collective Freedom Sunday, particularly within the Wesleyan and Holiness Consortium, which I was just telling you about. And what we're going for is trying to have a Freedom Sunday on the first Sunday of Lent. And so churches are invited to have a special emphasis on that day. That would, they would really take the issue of slavery, of exploitation to their church, to their denomination, that people would be called to pray uh, and to fast and perhaps sometimes to, to give to the different church ministries that are working on the issue. So that's something you, might, you could very easily do here at Kingswood, just participate in that. Um, at the Salvation Army, where I was at for a number of years, they had their own special emphasis on a weekend of prayer and fasting for the issue of human trafficking that they did for a number of years. And so that's an example. So you can do your own thing too, but I, I think it would be neat to join in with uh, Freedom Sunday. Okay, um, you could organize an intercessory prayer walk. So I'll, there's a whole uh, document that outlines how you can do this. But basically the idea is that you would set up prayer stations that have different themes uh, that connect with the issue of human trafficking or in, in this particular case with sex trafficking. So there's a prayer station where people can come and pray uh, that just basically serves as a memorial to all the victims. You come and pray at the memorial. You can, there's another prayer station, which is specifically thematically oriented around the issue of the demand and praying for the sex buyers. There's another station where you can pray for restoration and healing of the victims. There's a station where you can pray that justice would be done. And so there's like seven or eight of these different prayer stations that you can set up, and you can organize this as an event and have people come and specifically pray. And um, it's, it's really cool thing to do, particularly if you're having like a conference on the issue of trafficking. Okay. So intercessory prayer walk, you can do that. You could have a community prayer walk. Maybe there's an, an area um, in your community that is, really needs some prayer. Now, I don't really recommend that you do it as a big march. I mean, you, that's, that's one way you can do it, and that's what I have pictured here. But you could organize um, you know, small prayer groups who go through a community that might be particularly impacted by, say, the sex trade, where there's maybe brothels or strip clubs, uh, massage parlors, and go in groups and pray over that area and, and see what work God begins to unleash there, what, what, what unfolds. All right, so those are all different ways that the church can engage in this issue. And um, Now, we can also talk about training and equipping. Um, for, for deeper response. 
So one of the ways that one resource you might want to consider is something that is available through the Faith Alliance Against Slavery and Trafficking. So I want to be sure that you all know about this organization known as FAST. So FAST is made up of several different partner groups. It includes the, uh, the Salvation Army, World Relief, uh, a group called Project Rescue, which is out of the Assemblies of God denomination. Uh, World Hope is a part of it. And we've got new partners who've joined. There's the, um, the Global Center for Women and Justice out of Vanguard University that's now a part of FAST. But basically what's really exciting is that you have these different Christian organizations, nonprofits that are largely involved in Christian relief and development efforts coming together saying, how can we work together, pool our resources to combat the issue of trafficking and, and, and help equip the church to address the issue of trafficking. So one of the things that they did was to create a curriculum called Hands That Heal. And there's two versions of this curriculum. There's actually an academic version, which could be part of a core course here at Kingswood. If, if maybe Kingswood will decide they want to offer a course on human trafficking, well, you could use um, the Hands That Heal curriculum as part, of, as part of the core curriculum for that. But there's also a community-based version, which is basically just an easier to read and understand uh, format that you can use to engage and do trainings in community about the issue of human trafficking and help people learn how they can engage and how they can work with survivors. So that's a great resource. And I also want to highlight to you of, of um, well, that's interesting. I think I put up the wrong thing. <laughs> Sorry. But what the, the Global Center for Women and Justice, which I just mentioned, they're a member of FAST. They, this center, this is part of Vanguard University out in California. They have uh, an ending human trafficking podcast. There are over 80 recordings on this archive there that are all about different aspects of the issue of human trafficking. Now, if you went and listened to all those, it'd be like practically getting a PhD <laughs> in how to combat human trafficking, understanding human trafficking. So I really encourage you to go to the Global for Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University. Go to that website and start listening to some of those podcasts if this is an issue that really speaks to you, that you think God's calling you to. And they also do have a conference coming up in March. They have a phenomenal conference every year, bringing some of the top-notch speakers. And interestingly, Joanne Lyon will be the featured speaker at the conference in March. So who knows, maybe that could be a field trip uh, for a class here. <clears throat> some other news I want to share that this really pertains to the Wesleyan Church denomination writ large is that there's been the formation of a new Center. It's called the Bastion Center for Human Trafficking Research. And this has been, um, it's linked to Indiana Wesleyan University um, in Indiana. Obviously, <laughs> Indiana Wesleyan, duh. <laughs> so at any rate, but the, so it's tied to IWU, but the research center will be in, in the D.C. area. And uh, the woman who is directing this, her name is Dr. Laura Letterer. Um, she has been one of the foremost advocates on the issue of human trafficking in North America and really in the world and has really helped shape this whole movement 
Um, and so she is the director of the new Bastion Center. And this just happened this year, and so we're really excited that there's this new research center that's tied to a Wesleyan institution that's going to be focused on the issue of human trafficking and, and really meaty research. Okay, so I think it's past my time. Um, you know, there's things in terms of advocacy that you can do in terms of advocating for different laws and reforms. So if some of you are interested in law, that's something to consider. If some of you are interested in social work and social services, there's a whole host of programs and things that you can get involved in. I've already talked to them about foster parenting. Whoop, there goes something on the screen. <laughs> okay. Uh, juvenile detention centers, street outreach, drop-in centers, uh, legal aid, providing medical services, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder counseling. I mean, there are just so many ways that you can connect with the issue of trafficking and minister to people uh, who have been victimized. So consider those areas. <clears throat> um, things like art therapy. Animal therapy, some of you like animals, um, that makes a big, I, can, I have some stories about the importance of animals, which we don't have time for. Gardening, another big way to, to help people heal. <clears throat> All right, knitting and quilting, you can knit uh, blankets for the, some of these shelter, you know, uh, quilts or knit afghans for some of the, uh, the shelters that provide services. Of course, I mentioned earlier, combating the demand. <clears throat> Okay, we're going to have to skip through some of this. Uh, so just, there, there are so many organizations out there that are working to combat human trafficking now. And before you go out and decide to start your own program, uh, your own organization, I definitely encourage you to get to know some of these. And maybe th that there, uh, somebody here that what they're doing really speaks to you. But like Love 146, absolutely stellar ministry working in anti-trafficking. Nightlight, uh, Free Set, well, that's one of my particular favorites in India, working to help women coming out of the sex trade. Of course, World Hope has ministry in this area and, and so many organizations. So I really encourage you that if this is something you feel drawn to, link up with these organizations. See, maybe there's a, a way for you to volunteer. Maybe there's a way for you to intern. Maybe there's a way that you could support them through fundraising. Um, there's just, or maybe you have something you could do, um, you know, volunteer-wise, help them, I don't know, do graphic design. Any number of things, the ways that you can help out these organizations, and there's tons of them. So go out and find the one that suits you and support them. Okay, so um, just to wrap up, you know, what I just shared this morning probably seemed really dark, depressing, and like, oh my gosh, what can we do? But I hope that um, this afternoon I've given you uh, lots of cause for optimism, lots of cause to think of meaningful ways that you can connect and be involved, and they don't involve, um, you know, having to put on a Superman cape or get a Wonder Woman lasso or anything like that. It's just common, everyday ways that you can engage and make a difference. And I think about um, something Mother Teresa said about being faithful in the small things. And I think if we all start being faithful in the small things and the little opportunities that we have, if we all started doing that, the collective impact of that would be huge. Um, so I think in this room, the collective impact of what we could, that could be unleashed out of just a day like today, if everybody did something small, 
um, towards, uh, towards ending human trafficking and what a difference that would make. And I see so many young people, you have your whole lives before you, so much opportunity. So, uh, I'm just excited about how God is equipping you and what God's, how God's going to be using you all in the next decades to come. And I just pray his blessing over you, um, that you will all just uh, really be enriched and grow up to be these mighty forces, that these mighty agents of God, his ambassadors in this world that he uses to spread his fragrance abroad. So it's been great being with you. Thank you for your time uh, today, and God bless you.